Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. All right, everyone, we are back inside the tunnel crew. Been a little bit of a hiatus, been outside the tunnel recently, world travelers and all. Let's start with Doug. Big trip to the Bahamas. Tell me all about it. I heard you had an interesting run-in while down there in uh, the Bahamas. Yeah, we were went down to the Bahamas. My girlfriend and I um, were down there Friday to Wednesday of last week. Um, on Saturday, Virginia Tech is playing Boston College. And first, the number one rule of traveling is that you're always wearing some kind of Virginia Tech gear because you know somebody's going to walk up to you at some point and start talking about Virginia Tech. So I'm 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 laying next to the pool on Saturday afternoon. Virginia Tech's playing Boston College. I have my Amazon Fire tablet, um, and I've got the TuneIn Radio app on. John Lasers coming through. Um, so I'm basically holding this tablet up to my ear to to hear this thing um, at the pool, and and a gentleman walks up to me and goes, "I guess he's seen my tech hat on," and he goes, uh, "You wouldn't be listening, happening to be listening to the Virginia Tech Boston College game," and I was like, "Yeah, that's actually exactly what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> next to this pool in the Bahamas while I'm on vacation." Um, Turns out he's down there with a company from North Virginia, R.W. Murray. Shout out if you're listening. Um, ended up we they at the resort we were at. They had a little hibachi station, uh, you know, cooking food in front of you. So sitting with a bunch of strangers, or at least so we thought, until our hokey friends walked in and sat and sat at the same table as us. So as we're leaving, um, they were heading out the next day saying our goodbyes, giving them the, the farewell go Hokies or whatever, and I tell them that I was going to see them uh, September 12th for the Penn State game. And with that, he whips out his phone, shows me his tailgate, set up the, the flags that they fly a lot to under the, right behind the south end zone, tells me to sw- swing on by. So, Steve, if you're listening, I'm going to take you up in your offer. I'm coming by for the Penn State game, whether you like it or not. Big shout out to Steve. That is absolutely awesome. And I'm curious. I mean, just all these people in different places. I wonder if they could put up like a map of where everyone's tuning in from, because that's pretty crazy. You never know where people are watching, where Virginia Tech fans will be. But that that's awesome. That's an awesome run in. Yeah, I was listening to that Boston College game and not the best Internet connection down there next to the pool in the Bahamas. So I had to keep flipping back and forth between the, the tech feed and the Boston College feed. Um, didn't really enjoy the Boston College feed as much. Yeah, I mean, you didn't miss too much. Don't worry. At one point, I'd been... So I guess I was hitting it with my 
face or something. So it kept rewinding. So like BD, so somebody hit a three to go up seventy to three to seventy in overtime, and then I, hit, I guess I hit record, or I mean rewind. So then like all of a sudden Landers Nolly had hit a three, and I was like, oh sweet, Texas <laughs> all of a sudden, and then like. I've realized what had happened, and Tech was losing by the time I got it back. It was a roller coaster. Roller coaster, but otherwise good trip? Solid trip down there in the Bahamas. Um, compared to anywhere on the East Coast of the United States in February, I think I'd rather be in the Bahamas. Wonderful. Well, I, too, was outside the country. Where, where were you? So I joined my dad and my mom, and we went to Europe. We went to Portugal. We went to Lisbon. A lot of walking, big city, lots of hills, great food, fresh seafood and all. And then we... Did you uh, wear Crocs? I did not bring Crocs. I only brought a backpack so I wouldn't have to worry about any of the shenanigans going on. Uh, and just would get on the flight, get off the flight. That's all I had to worry about. Um, they traveled from New York. I traveled from D.C. Uh, but then we spent four days in Prague. My dad is from the Czech Republic have a lot of family that I haven't seen in seven years. So it was awesome seeing them. Very wholesome. And it's uh, pretty funny trying to explain that I write about Virginia Tech athletics because there's no parallel in the Czech Republic. Um, they do have football, but mainly uh, I would say the Czechs are known for hockey, uh, tennis, uh, soccer, so it's anything but football really relates to them. Um, and that one Olympic sport where you're skiing and shooting, the Czechs are really good at that too. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of you, you like ski and then all of a sudden you're stationary and you're shooting at targets in the Olympics. It's like a growing sport, but the Czechs are really good at that. Anyways, okay. <laughs> I know very random, <laughs> very random. I learned all about it, um, but it was great seeing my family and it's a completely different cultural experience and it's just nice to get a new perspective so overall really really good experience so you're saying you did not check any luggage aha uh-huh. i did not ch- check any luggage no <laughs> i did go. not there you go um and just fyi to all the people listening out there a uh, little backstory we are doing every two weeks a new podcast so we're not gonna just Put one out there if we have nothing to talk about. I think every two weeks allows us a lot of time to collect all the things happening, Virginia Tech athletics, and then putting it out there. So that's the new plan moving forward in the off season. Yeah, and if obviously if anything happens, we can jump jump on an emergency pod. Um, but of course, if something happens at this point in the off season through august it's probably a bad thing um (laughs) so hopefully that doesn't happen yeah hopefully that does not happen other life updates i guess before we really jump into it the arlington wolves yes we need an update so i haven't talked about it in like two months Uh, i guess we've only had a few podcasts since but third in the league right now eyeing playoffs one regular season game to go recently just lost so bitter taste in our mouths but we're going to come back, lace up our shoes a little bit tighter, go 1-0 the next week, and hopefully make another championship run. But our team is phenomenal, and yeah, really looking forward to the to the playoffs coming up here soon. So you, so you are in the playoffs? Not We have one more regular season game. But you're in third. We're in third. We're and hoping... You don't, 
you don't know if you're in the playoffs yet. We're hoping to get, we don't know what our seed is yet. We're right. hoping to get the first round by with the two seed. And the home field advantage, home court and advantage. The funny thing is it's the same court, whether you're home or away. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we get that two seed, get the bye. Um, and then I guess last update since the last podcast, jumped on Sons of Saturday. Great group of guys. Unfortunately, two of them could not make the podcast. So I joined my good friend, Pat Finn. The son uh, of Saturday. The son of Saturday. And, you know, I kind of had to. The last two guests were Oscar Bradburn and then John Yetzi. And we can go into his podcast a little bit because we didn't get to recap our thoughts. Uh, but Oscar being, you know, my guy, I could put a little soundbite here of what he had to say about me. Any shout outs, shout outs back home. Uh, shout out my boy Matej is. Matej is, is your biggest fan. I must be his as well. I gotta tell you. He's got the scoops, man. Matej is awesome. Uh, so shout out to Matej for sure. And John Yetzi is a guy that I kind of came in after for VT Scoop. He worked there for a little bit and then I joined the Reigns shortly thereafter. So it was kind of natural progression on that front, but Really good interview, I would say. You know, it was really fun to do something different. But we're back now on Inside the Tunnel. Yeah, no more cheating on us. I won't cheat on you anymore, Doug, <laughs> post-Valentine's Day. Um, but let's – we could even start right there. Do you want to talk about the Yetzi Sons of Saturday podcast and kind of the insight he provided to the recruiting department and his thoughts on the 2020 recruiting class? Yeah, I think the, I mean, everybody's hashed that out pretty extensively by this point. Um, I think we're like two weeks out from that getting published or posted. Um, I think the one thing that I took from it is that I hope that Virginia Tech realizes that they're the players, the coaches, the, the staff, the people that don't get a lot, get a lot of attention. Um, when you're talking about needing to raise money for the Hokie Club to support the program, really those are the guys that you're going to be helping out, and they have they have stories to tell, and they, they there's more people like like John Yetzi that have tremendous passion for Virginia Tech and and love for Virginia Tech and 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 work their tails off every day for Virginia Tech, and you know I hope that Virginia Tech can see the the value in letting them share that story and how, you know, listening to that, hearing their calls to donate for the, to the Hokie club, they're not adding another assistant coach. They're adding more people like that and kind of getting that inside perspective of just how hard he works and how hard they work in the recruiting department. I think that helps kind of sell Virginia Tech's, vision and what they want to do um, more than just saying, you know, join the Hokie club and help us get to 25,000 members. When, when you can hear how hard people are working behind the scenes, I think that that's going to help drive donations a lot more. So I hope you see more of that, whether that's, you know, people coming on other podcasts, we'll certainly love to have some people join our podcast. Absolutely. Tech Sideline has a great podcast. I'm sure they will love to have some people over there. It's on a Saturday, clearly. But even even if you let a guy like Andy Bitter do like a you know, 
24 hours behind the scenes with so-and-so kind of like there are so many stories to tell from people within the program and within the athletic department that um, I think will get people a lot more excited and a lot more appreciative of what's happening rather than just relying on the results of 12 games on Saturday to convince people to 12 games on Saturday in the fall to convince people that it's worth donating. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that Virginia Tech's Twitter account has started to prioritize telling the stories of a lot of these guys. I know they put out a video recently, and it was after this podcast, about the new additions on the defensive side of the ball and and just talking about them as people. And I think that's a big step up. Obviously, you know, it's been so locked down for the past four years, and now it's like finally opening up a little bit. You realize you know, the transparency of the John Yetzi podcast and just how far behind Virginia Tech is to even UVA, who they've been dominating for the past decade and a half, just knowing what they're dealing with and then seeing fan expectations, you know, pushing for top 20 classes. You could eventually get there, but you're going to need a lot more help in these departments. So I thought it was very eye-opening overall. Yeah, I think the the one you know, four and a half minute video or whatever they posted is nice. And I, you know, it's a good, (laughs) a good story to tell there. But I also think that, you know, Justin Hamilton coming in as defensive coordinator sometime in the last, you know, we're now in late February in the last two months, just to go, go long form on a podcast or with a reporter so that we could get to know them and tell his story. Um, I'm sure he's got tons of great stories, learn more about his time at UVA wise and all that stuff. I mean, that's the kind of information that people will gravitate towards and can like convince people to donate. Um, I feel like right now they're kind of relying on the football team being successful on the field record wise, um, to drive interest, but there's a lot more you can do particularly now here we are in, middle of the off season to kind of do that. Um, so I just hope that, you know, that the, the effects of that Yetzi interview, um, kind of convinced them that there's, it's worth it to, to sell the vision just by having guys tell their stories about what they do and why they love Virginia tech. I a hundred percent agree. Let's switch things over to a little bit of basketball. Virginia Tech finally breaking the losing streak, beating Pittsburgh 67-57. to Albeit, Pittsburgh not the best of teams in the ACC, probably one of the bottom feeders, but really impressive game nonetheless and finally getting out of that hump, or over that hump, I should say. Big game from P.J. Horn, 18 points, four for six, three-pointers. Uh, and then you have Jalen Cohn coming off the bench for 12 points, four out of five for three pointers. How big was this win, Doug? Uh, nice win to get back off the five game schneid they had going on there. Um, I guess they're still fighting for the NIT. Um, it's probably the goal now for what for what they can achieve, which would be a really nice achievement for for this this roster considering where we thought they were going to be at the, at the beginning of the year. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, I mean, we've, we've talked about this all season. There's a whole bunch of games that are just completely toss ups. Um, 
and whether you play well or you don't doesn't really, really isn't indicative of the very next game your chance to win. So Pittsburgh's not a great team. Virginia Tech's probably not a great team either. Um, you play that game ten more times, and it probably splits five and five at some point. Um, but nice, nice performance by PJ Horn getting getting his shooting stroke back. He really struggled. He was cold. Um, <laughs> he was cold there for quite a bit. Uh, and then Jalen Cohn continues to be awesome. So um, they got Miami coming up Wednesday at nine, I think, which is just a god awful tip tip off time. Um, but hopefully they can. That'll be it. That's at home, um, I think, right? So, yeah. so hopefully they can keep it going. Um, big one against Duke on Saturday. I don't think they'll win that one. So it would be nice to beat Miami on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I guess by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be tonight at 9 p.m. Um, just a few more notes from the Pittsburgh game. I know NIT, any postseason tournament would be good with a roster littered of guys that really are going through their first seasons, a majority of them. Um, but it is encouraging to see signs of of promise from John Ogiaco, a guy that had nine rebounds, three offensive rebounds against a sizable force at, in Pittsburgh um, and playing 14 minutes and only fouling once. That's positive. Uh, again, Jalen Cohn, one of the most lethal three-point shooters in the entire country, right now third in the nation in three-point percentage and first in the ACC. So I think we're starting to see that a lot of these guys are becoming more consistent in what they're trying to do. Um, maybe it's not the best overall product right now for this team. Um, but in terms of a building block season, I think you're definitely seeing signs from a lot of these guys that can be key contributors moving forward, not only this season and against a, a tough slate coming up for the last six games, um, but also down the line next year. Maybe this is a team that we start talking about has NCAA tournament uh, aspirations. Yeah, I think next year's definitely a expectations will be raised. Um, I do want to touch on Ojiako. Um, I was reading on Tech Sideline, they post the Tech Talk Live notes every every week, which is a godsend because I never listen. I just read those, so keep doing that. Um, but Mike Young was talking about how Ojiako, how he feels like he's ready to get him 15 minutes which I think, I think at the end of the season to be developing, um, developing that like that is, as you said, a great sign for the future and heading into next year. I don't know if he'll be ready to, you know, start and play twenty-five to thirty minutes next year. Um, that's going to depend on the upcoming off season. But I think when you look at this season, it's all about how players are developing for next year and beyond. And I think. You look at Jalen Cohn, you look at John Ogiaco are two guys that um, I think you can pretty confidently say they're going to be huge pieces of, you know, this next core. Tech kind of had that Justin Robinson, Ahmed Hill, uh, Kerry Blackshear core that took him to the Sweet 16 that kind of grew up together at Virginia Tech. And, you know, I think Cohn and, um, Cohn and Ogiaco are definitely pieces of that core. Naheem Aline has shown flashes, and you know I think he's kind of gone through the freshman ups and downs so far. So he's a guy. Landers Nolly, if he can come back, is certainly a part of that core. Um, but yeah, you know, that's just what you're looking for as far as you know. Ojiako could have been 
hit the wall and done and playing six to seven minutes the whole season. And but to see him continuing to develop, I think that's a that's a really good sign. Just quickly going to touch on some basketball recruiting. Two big visits for David Ngusan and Carter Witt. We'll start with David Ngusan. He's a three-star power forward, kind of a three-slash-four guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Nolly, uh, six foot eight, one ninety-five. He's a guy that can stretch That's out to the three-point line. Very skinny, but a, six eight, one ninety-five. Again, a lot of these guys that you see in high school programs are, you know, they they need time in a collegiate weight room. Um, and when I mean he reminds me of Landers Nolly, I think he can do a lot of things well. Uh, but maybe doesn't have one unique, you know, one thing that he does extremely well. Uh, Nolly, obviously, being a very good scorer, as we've seen in at least the Pittsburgh game, good rebounder and passer as well, I think. And Gusan can be that kind of uh, a lanky guy on the wing, uh, shoot some threes, get down low in the post, take guys one-on-one if he de- develops correctly. Virginia Tech, currently number one on his list. The second guy, which will probably get a lot of fans excited, uh, is a 2021 prospect, Carter Witt, point guard, 6'3", 170, the 55th overall prospect by the 24-7 Sports Composite. I thought when you you said Tech fans are going to be excited, you were going to say he's seven feet tall or something, (laughs) but he's another guard. He's another guard, but number 55, number one prospect in North Carolina, has offers from everyone in the ACC, has offers around the country. Rumors are saying that he wants to stay closer to home for a long time, for a large majority of his recruitment. NC State was at the forefront. Virginia Tech has kind of overtook them. So I would say Virginia Tech is in a very, very good spot for Carter Witt. And we'll see how this one plays out. Uh, no commitments just yet. Uh, part of that is because there's not a lot of space to work with at the moment. Uh, there could be some attrition in the offseason. Um, but I think in fairness to the players, uh, Mike Young isn't going to take anyone just yet. Yeah, I think the one thing I'll say is talking about Wit from North Carolina. I mean, that seems like a great, great state to be to be all over. I'm sure Mike Young's got so many connections from being right down the at Walford in South Carolina um, for so many years, but also like your blue bloods there, Duke and Carolina, they recruit nationally. They're, they're taking the, they're taking the best players in the country. Um, so I think as far as going up against, you know, basketball is not really as, as in state recruiting heavy sport, but, you know, I think it still helps that Virginia tech is, just like they do for football can kind of mine that Western central North Carolina part um, and go up against basically only NC state. When you think about it um, with how down wake forest is. Um, So I think we'll see what happens there with the rest of that. Um, But I think certainly North care getting the top kid in North Carolina is, is would be, would be a big get. And quick shout out to Chris Arvin. He couldn't join us tonight, um, but he did leave a detailed VIP scoops uh, goes a little bit more in depth on both these guys I just mentioned and some other prospects that Virginia Tech is eyeing. And I guess it's a good time to mention that if you join VT Scoop within the next two days, nice you, plug. you only have to put down one dollar and wow. you get two months of VIP access. 
So 50 cents a month. 50 cents a month. I mean, honestly, it's the best deal. I put it out there. I normally don't try to flood the Twitter sphere with all the different promos, but this one is honestly the best promo. So if you're thinking about maybe becoming a VIP uh, member of the site, I highly recommend it. You get to see all the recruiting stuff for football, spring game coming up, a lot of spring game visitors, and it's a critical time. I mean, six more games, and then really all this recruiting for basketball is going to start to pick up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, right now, two months from now, you're going to hit all the spring practice, all the, you know, Virginia Tech switching to football recruiting, basically. Spring practice, they on the weekends, they try and get bunch of kids up every weekend leading into the spring game so continue the plug it's a great time to join there's gonna be a lot going on here as far as recruiting goes over the next couple months absolutely and some big names so keep an eye on that let's switch things over to the football side once again a big update virginia tech football announced their 2020 salaries for six of the staff members, uh, Justin Hamilton coming in at $600,000 for next year. Tracy Clay is the new linebackers coach, making $500,000. Adam Lechtenberg, the new running backs coach, will make $200,000. Bill Tierlink, the defensive line coach, will make $400,000. Daryl Tapp, the co-defensive line coach, will make $175K. And Ryan Smith will also make 175k as the cornerbacks coach. Going down that list, what are your initial thoughts on the staffers and their salaries for next season? Uh, the initial thought was the the big question was going to be with Bud Foster's salary leaving at nine hundred thousand, one point one mil, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, how would that get redistributed through the rest of the staff? Um, not surprising for a guy like Tierlink coming from the Bills that it took a hefty chunk of change to get him um, to move from being an NFL defensive line coach to move to Blacksburg, Virginia to coach in the ACC. Um, obviously, his relationship with Justin Fuente and um, says he wanted, want, always wanted to get back to college football was a big draw, but I think that chunk of change was quite a draw as well um i think it's a 120,000 more than what charlie wiles had been making um so that tells you a little bit about what that market value is and then tracy clays is a guy that's it's been been a head coach in the power five and been a defensive coordinator everywhere another high salary for him but he's also got kind of a mentor role for for hamilton um as far as Hamilton being a first-time defensive coordinator and having Tracy Clays there. So that I, I felt like those salaries were pretty much about where I expected them to be. Um, the one thing that I think kind of going back to that hokey club conversation about needing money, needing support, needing resources going forward, Virginia Tech has two position coaches now. They're paying 175000 in Ryan Smith and Daryl Tapp and over the next year or two, if either obviously Tap is a little bit of a you know he's probably a little more loyal to Virginia Tech considering his ties, but um, over the next year, two or three years, if if uh, if they kind of prove their chops and 
prove that they can recruit and prove that they can coach and everything. You know, going from there are programs with more money that that will be throwing money at them. So Virginia Tech will have to have the flexibility there um, to to raise those salaries probably pretty quickly. When you talk about a guy making one hundred seventy five thousand, any other P five program, a P five head coach that wants to put together his staff with Nia's got a whole chunk of change sitting there to put together a staff with. I think they come in with a bigger offer. So um, just another reason that Virginia Tech is going to need more resources going forward um, to kind of keep this thing together. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I will say, you know, for now it's good. Daryl Tapp was a quality control coach last season. I tried to look up the statistics it's tough to say SEC money, even though it's Vanderbilt uh, versus the rest of the country. But typically you're looking at $26,000 per year in a quality control coach. So he's making nearly $150,000 more than the average quality control coach. And then Ryan Smith, I looked up his salary at JMU, made uh, roughly $67,000. And again, making nearly hundred k more Uh, this upcoming year. So for now, those guys look good. They're getting big pay bumps. Uh, I think the staff as a whole actually saved $200,000 if you add it all up, obviously pending the Brad Cornelson and Vance Vice contracts, which will be renewed in June, and we'll see how much of a bump they get. Um, But you're absolutely right. Long-term looking at this, if these are the guys that you want to cement to this program, you're going to need more money to give to these guys because you look elsewhere and they're throwing a lot more money at those types of positions. Especially, I mean, especially that those two spots, defensive line and cornerback spots are so, so important for so for every single program. The one thing with tap, he's loyal to Virginia tech as a, you know, one of the legends, but he also made, according to the second Google result I'm looking at, he made $4 million during his career in the NFL. So he's got a little bit of leeway there, um, particularly living in Blacksburg as a Virginia Tech assistant coach. So, you know, I think you probably have a little more time and maybe a little more leeway there, and money may not talk that much, but it also it's also going to talk at some point, so... Long way to go, a lot to prove there, but just something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, and again, we'll see what happens with Cornelson, if he'll get a big bump. I'd love to see how Twitter would react to that one or the boards. And then Vance Vice. I mean, the man, I think, makes 280k. Uh, one of the lowest, I would say, from last year at least, one of the lower-end uh, paid coaches so I'm curious to see what he makes because his recruiting has been phenomenal. There's 11 guys that have started a Division One game coming for next year. And I would say he's done a relatively good job in turning around the offensive line. Maybe it's not there quite yet, uh, but overall it's encouraging and showing signs of, of promise. Yeah, I think you said they saved $200,000 right now. I believe the- so. So, so it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when those June... When those contracts get renewed in June, if that money gets divvied up um, appropriately, probably probably mostly to Vance Vice, considering, yes. <laughs> considering what shape his um, offensive line is. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. We have a new segment. 
Around the ACC Coastal. Around the ACC Coastal. A new segment. All right. New segment. We'll we'll be adding some more segments throughout the offseason, but this is just one to really recap the major headlines that we've seen outside of Virginia Tech. And there's quite a few. So the first one we'll start off with Vic Sooto, who is the Virginia defensive line coach, is now taking the same job at USC. Now, personally, I think this is a huge blow to UVA. Their defense was phenomenal, uh, and much of that was in part due to the defensive line being able to rely on a 3-4 front and having those three guys ready and able to stop the run. They've been a defense that has, at least in the past two years, been in the top 25 for total defense, primarily known for their ability to stop the run. And when you look at UVA's roster, there's not a lot of star power, you know, and I think that they've done a really good job in taking lower end prospects that maybe a lot of programs overlook and turning them into key contributors. So I think that's a huge loss for UVA. Yeah. You know, we just talked about the importance of defensive line coaches kind of, and you know, that's the same thing you touched on it, particularly with a three, four, that defensive line is crucial. Um, they get a lot of their pass rush, obviously from the outside line, outside linebackers, but um, you got to have, I mean, defensive line is very important. Obviously, he's a pretty good coach if, if USC is going to come hire him away. Um, I did see they hired Clint Sintum, who was um, he was a EVA outside linebacker, if I recall. Um, but he's been coaching at Delaware um, recently, so he's taken kind of a step up. I know Mendenhall brought a lot of guys when he initially started brought a lot of guys that he'd worked with for a long time um, at BYU with. So be interesting to see what, what impact that makes. You know, I think Clint Sinem is probably a guy that has a bright future um, if he's already moving up and he's probably got kind of like Daryl Tapp almost as like a former Virginia Tech. I don't think he was as much of a legend at UVA as, as Daryl Tapp was at Virginia Tech, but same kind of thing where, he seems like he's got a bright future as a coach, but um, yeah, anytime you're you're losing coaches to USC, it's kind of like Holman Wiggins going to Alabama. It's like, Abs- yeah, it's, I was about to say that. It's like you're, you're well, you weren't keeping him around. I mean, he, he you know, Charlottesville is Charlottesville, but you know, you're going to Southern California. <laughs> That's going to be pretty nice and a very prestigious program. Next up is Duke, and there's a lot of storylines around Duke. The biggest one I would say is that longtime cornerback coach and associate head coach Derek Jones, really longtime coach at Duke with Cutcliffe, is heading to Texas Tech. I think he's going to be the co-defensive coordinator and associate head coach. Um, don't have the article in front of me, but a massive blow to the staff. A guy that was, even though they don't recruit the best uh a lot of people around Duke pointed to him for having success with a lot of four stars and getting guys in the conversation to come to Duke. Yeah, I'm looking on Google right now. He, he's been there since 2008, which wow. Um, I don't know when Cutcliffe first started there, but I mean, he's 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 got to have seen it all at Duke, and um, you know, anybody with that kind of longevity moves on. It's going to be an interesting 
interesting time to replace um, him, particularly at this time. I see they they hired uh, Chris Hampton from Tulane as the new cornerbacks coach. So not doesn't seem to have a lot of ties um, as far as I can tell. So we'll see what happens there um, in Durham. Certainly, certainly some interesting things happening. Yeah, and again, with UVA and Duke, it's so tough to find coaches this time around because the coaching carousel already happened, signing day's over. Uh, There shouldn't be too much movement. Obviously, we've seen Mel Tucker in Colorado and that whole big ordeal that he said he was staying at Colorado and then leaves for Michigan State. Um, But really, this is the time when you're really – focusing on off-season workouts and you know really about to begin spring ball so you know there's not a lot of names to fill these voids and these two coaches that we've mentioned are are big big parts of their respective teams yeah and replacing them is you know you almost gotta just like they did I mean um Duke goes and hires a guy from Tulane and UVA goes and hires a alum from Delaware you almost got dropped down a level at that point to where it's like at this point in February, everybody's kind of locked in and getting ready for 2022 to leave your program. It's almost got to be like a, like, like your current program has to be like, no, you have to take this job. Like this is such an obvious job for you to take. So I think that's the case. And that's the issue with, you know, turning over coaching staff right now is that everybody's locked in and settled in and, um, you, you you would have to kind of <laughs> you're seeing it at Colorado you kind of have to scramble or or even Michigan State before they convince Mel Tucker to go there you kind of scramble and to get figure out guys that are willing to make that jump and there's just not not a ton of guys to even go from like Luke Fickle wouldn't leave Cincinnati to go to Michigan State in February because he's he's got a pretty pretty good gig in Cincinnati and there's no reason for him to you know chase a job like that so um yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend coaching staff turnover in February for anybody remaining with Duke David Cutcliffe calling plays for the first time while at Duke is this a big deal yeah the Cutcliffe legend grows I guess and I can't believe he has never called plays I mean I, he was an offensive coordinator um, a couple places, I think Tennessee most notably, but so he's clearly called plays before, but never before at Duke, which is interesting considering where they where they were even during his tenure um, at some point. So uh, we'll see. You know, I guess it, I don't know what that says about. It kind of feels like Duke is peaked under Cutcliffe um, after I think they played for the ACC championship three years ago. Um, and Daniel Jones being a first-round pick. So we'll see if this is the answer for them. Dukes that were – I wonder if they've changed it. But they used to, like – they might be in spring practice right now. Um, they used to have spring practice really, really early. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's probably a pretty darn good offensive coordinator considering what kind of career he's had. And then the last thing with Duke, they got – or they won the services – of Clemson transfer quarterback Chase Bryce. How much does this change the outlook on Duke heading into next season? Because I feel like in the way too early predictions, they were towards the bottom of the barrel in the ACC Coastal. Well, you know, we hope where Duke hopes that 
Bryce is any good. I mean, we've seen him. He's backing up Trevor Lawrence and won that game for him against, I think it was Syracuse two years ago when Lawrence went out right after Kelly Bryant had um, decided to redshirt or whatever. So um, certainly you trust that David Cutcliffe can coach up a quarterback. Um, and certainly you think that Bryce being a guy from Clemson certainly has talent. So if, if Duke has got a quarterback, they've got a chance to win eight games. It's basically under David Cutcliffe is what they've proven. Um, so we'll see if Bryce kind of is that guy. I thought, I forget who their guy, who their quarterback was this year. Quentin Harris, maybe. Um, he was a guy that was supposed to take another step forward, but couldn't, didn't quite get there. So, um, but yeah, Cutcliffe's the quarterback whisperer. Everybody knows that. Um, and if he can, if he can get good play out of Bryce, they will be a tough, tough game. Yeah. I thought Chase Bryce was very good, but again, you have to look at the situation. He's surrounded by, you know, a lot of guys that are consistently in the national championship, consistently first round draft picks all over the field, especially on offense with that wide receiver core. Um, so I do think he's a very good quarterback and there's no shame in backing up Trevor Lawrence, who's potentially the number one overall pick after next season. Uh, that being said, when you look at Duke and I'm just trying to remember all the different guys around the quarterback, I, I feel as if their offensive line wasn't the best last year. And I don't know what their status is heading into next season, but I know they did lose a bunch of guys at wide receiver Aaron Young, Scott Bracey, I think he might be coming back. Um, but overall, we'll see what happens. I think he's a very good quarterback, but I think it's very dependent on the guys around him. Um, and I'm just not sold yet. Obviously, I have to do a bit more research, but not sold yet on the guys that Duke currently possesses on offense. Yeah, I think that Bracey guy transferred to uh, JMU. He did. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean... Cutcliffe can build anybody, any team around the quarterback, but um, yeah, they need they need a little bit more help around them probably. Uh, but you know, by the time by the time Tech rolls into Durham next year, um, we'll have to see see what they look like. And I think they, you know, if they went out and got Bryce, I think they feel comfortable that he's going to be their starting quarterback, and that that's going to make them better than whoever else they had. Absolutely. Last headline from around the ACC. This one's very interesting because I don't know if this would ever happen at Virginia Tech. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> but Boston College, their SID confirmed that after games, they will open up the locker room to media. It's pretty much like the NFL, where after the game, you can go to the individual lockers of any player that you want and ask them about the game. Do you think this is a good thing? Do you think this should be implemented everywhere? Uh, all jokes aside about Virginia Tech being on lockdown? Uh, <laughs> yes, it's fantastic. It is <laughs> exactly how it should be. Um, I don't think any of the reporters that cover Virginia Tech are out to get anybody. But, I mean, it just opens up... Um, so many more stories to be just kind of the same thing I was talking about. Like there are different outlets that cover Virginia tech that would talk to different players, depending on what happens in the game. And you would get kind of a different perspective and 
know the program, know the players, understand, you know, what, what you're supporting. Um, it, it would, you know, compared to what Virginia Tech does now, which is, you know, parade four players up in front of a podium, which is just like, it's got to feel so awkward to sit up there, like in your football pads in front of a microphone and answer questions from people sitting below you with these bright lights on you. I think people would be more comfortable. I think it would be better stories. I think, I, I think the aversion to players talking to the media, considering, you know, if, <laughs> if it was like in New York in the professional sports and people were going to be like vicious with you, sure. But this is Blacksburg. This is Boston College, which is not a huge part of the Boston sports scene. So, um, yeah, I would love to see it everywhere. It would be great. It would be, I um, mean, I remember. When I was in school covering tech games, it was before they kind of changed it and you, they opened everybody up or they brought a couple guys out early, a couple like feature players, but then they had like 12 players sitting back there ready for you to go just go and you could go chat with them for like 10, 15 minutes. And I think that's um, a better, a better way of doing it. And this is certainly like miles and miles better. And I think, if there's a beat writer job for the Boston College beat right now, like people are flocking there to try and get that <laughs> job because that's living in Boston, you get open locker rooms. That's like a journalist dream. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. I remember under Frank Beamer days, uh, they would bring you all into a room and they would have like eight different tables with different players, and just each media member went to a different table. And I think we all got different stories, and you know. It was, it was fun being able to tell different stories, asking different questions and not really having the pressure of so many people all at one podium uh, for one recruit or sorry, for one player. Um, and then the second thing is just with Boston College. I know you and I were at the game and they were pumping in some crowd noise. So they clearly need some more fan engagement. And what's better than being able to tell the stories of the guys on the team, it makes the fans more engaged. Overall, I think this is a brilliant PR move from Boston College, just getting more people flocking over to the program. Yeah, I remember like some of those games covering at Texas under Beamer when they open up like the back room with like eight to ten or whatever players sitting at tables. Like some of those games, there's not eight to ten players that need to talk about what what would happen or what had happened so like everybody flocks to the quarterbacks obviously and like it's just this and then there's like players just sitting over there all alone not talking to anybody so you can just go up and start talking to them get a completely different perspective and then and then by the time everybody's talked to the quarterback, the quarterback's still sitting there. Then you go talk to the quarterback and and ask him. So, you know, that's a different different story, different um, different topic about how Virginia Tech does press conferences, which is I'm sure not many people care about. But um, yeah, Boston College, it's yeah, that's awesome. I mean, they do that in baseball all the time, and that's what you get. I mean, those guys just sit there and tell stories, and um, particularly when you're bringing in guys like guys that have covered the program for years and years and years, like to be able to develop that relationship with players, 
where they feel comfortable talking. I mean, that's that just gets that over time. The stories just get better and better. But I digress. Let's quickly wrap this up with some questions. Questions. First one is from Hustla43. Who's been standing out in winter workouts? And the second question is, who needs to have a big winter and spring? I can jump on the first part of this question. I'll give you the second part. To me, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's pretty much doing well in winter workouts, I would say. But the people that are really gaining the most recognition are kind of your athletic freaks, your Quincy Patterson's, Devin Hunter's, Brock Hoffman, Brian Hudson. All these guys are either you know, really well conditioned or in great physical stature or really, really good lifters. So I think those four players are the ones that come to my mind first. But in terms of who needs to have a big winter and spring, Doug, you want to give us one for the offense, one for the defense? Yeah, I think the one for the offense is, we've talked about this, is Kashawn King, the running back, now sophomore running back, but comes in last year. Basically has to be the number two running back after Jalen Holson gets hurt in the first game of the year, but he's 182 pounds and 18 years old. So this is a huge opportunity for him to to tack on that 10, 15, 20 pounds, whatever, whatever is needed between now and September. If he can get up to 195, 200, I mean, I think you feel a lot more comfortable giving him the ball 15 to 20 times. And based on what we saw from him and, limited duty last year i think that's i mean he's got a load of potential and could be a really 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 good running back for virginia tech so we'll see if he can put on that extra just a little he doesn't need a ton um but if you can just get that a little bit extra weight there and then on the defensive side of the ball i think the player everybody wants to see and hear from is amari barno six six two thirty ish two thirty five ish right now is he going to be a linebacker? Is he going to be a defensive end? That question will be answered probably in the spring once we figure out what the defense is looking like. But um, he's kind of a skinny. I mean, 6'6", 230. He's gonna, if you're 6'6", you're going to look skinny for, for most people. So, um, But I think he redshirted. He got in four games and then took the redshirt. So he's got two years of eligibility left. But if, But if he could pack on and you know, kind of fill out that frame with a little more muscle. I think he's a guy that um, certainly oozes potential in terms of just looking at him. And, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, I think, is a guy was, he was absurd by the end of his year. But, I mean, he was like 6'5", 250 at backer or whatever it was. So I don't know if Barno can get there. Maybe he can by 2021. But um, that's a guy that, you feel his athleticism and his frame can is right for a little Ben Hilgart work there. I want to see him husk up for sure. I wouldn't mind seeing a six foot six, <laughs> two sixty five pound defensive end. I know that uh, Bill Terlink and Daryl Tapp, you know, the priorities has been get bigger on the defensive line, get a little more modern uh, with the pass rush. So if they choose to put him at defensive end, I would love to see him at 265, but 35 pounds in one off season is kind of a lot. Um, but like you said, Tremaine could do it at 250. Tremaine was special. Uh, if Barno can, again, 15, 20, I know that's asking quite a bit, but 
I would love to see him around 245, 250 if he's staying at that backer spot. Yeah, you. I mean, I guess every everybody's different. Jalen Griffin the last year tacked on. <laughs> he grew exponentially. <laughs> yeah, he grew exponentially there to get up to become a defensive end. So, um, clear. Everybody's different, so it's not going to be the same. But um, it could happen. But uh, but you know, maybe his maybe his home's at backer. I don't know. So we got, uh, let's go with the two fun questions first. We got Enter Sandman, who asks, Camo or Tan Crocs? Doug, you are also a Camo Croc owner. So I think we're both in alignment. We're going to say Camo Crocs. I've never seen Tan Crocs before. Yeah, I don't know about Tan. I'm definitely a Camo guy. Um my roommate, shout out John Bounds, has a really nice pair with a with a, like a the strap is like got a little cushion on it. Those Ooh. are just those are just elite level Crocs. Just the like cream of the crop, the Ritz, the cream Ritz of the Croc, the cream of the Croc. Yes. Um, so I mean, if you're looking for a little higher end model, I think that's where you're going. But as far as just a utilitarian. Everyday Croc. I think the camo Crocs are where you need to go. Just the basic ones. Um, the other one is from Hokey Man Twenty Four, who wants to know: Should pineapple go on pizza? No. I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like it all goes down the same way. It doesn't really matter. I personally, like, I'm not a Hawaiian guy. I don't get the Hawaiian pizza with the with the pineapple and the ham. Um, but if that's your thing, I mean, I. I don't discriminate against any type of pizza. Not only does putting pineapple on the pizza reduce the flavor of the pizza at the at the time of delivery, it reduces the reeatability of the pizza. Oh, that is true. When you're whether you're taking it out of the fridge or it's been sitting on the table for a little bit, a you know, lukewarm pizza or even a cold pizza, still pretty solid. You add that, like, you know, that, like, either little dried out pineapple with a, like, it's just not good. You know, you, you want a pizza that you, that is, that is delicious, both at the time of delivery and then in the time after that, going into the next day or so. Um, and I think pineapple kind of reduces that ability. You know, that's a very, very good point. Thank you. And now for the last question of the night from Kenny Powers 2014, a serious question. Starting quarterback for 2020 is dot dot dot. Hendon Hooker and and, and. <laughs> yes, crazy answer. Uh, no, Hendon Hooker, and I don't think it's going to be much of a competition. I think Hendon Hooker is going to grab it by the horns and um, lock it down. I'm with you there. I've heard very good things about Braxton Burmeister. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm curious to see if Braxton Burmeister were available last offseason battling Ryan Willis. Would he come out on top? I'm, I'm just putting it out there. But I think, I think it might be closer than we think. However, I'm with you. I think it should be. And what I'm predicting would be Hendon Hooker. I'm all aboard the Hendon Hooker train. There we go. All right, Doug, any last thoughts before we officially end this podcast? 
Don't think so. Just a reminder, we'll see you again in two weeks. Two weeks. All right, everyone. We'll see you shortly, sort of. Okay, bye. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply